0: You are yes. listening to Three Moves Ahead, the official podcast of FlashofSteel.com. I am your very tired and slightly inebriated host, Troy Goodfellow, and with me today is freelance writer Tom Chick.
1: Since you're slightly inebriated, let me uh, get you a coffee.
0: And freelance writer and uh, co-major-domo of GamersWithJobs.com, Julian Murdoch. I didn't know there was going to be
2: inebriation. I, I need to like go stock up if, if inebriation is allowed.
0: Well, it's always allowed. No, head to head. I think that's
2: how a lot of podcasts work: is a bunch of dudes sit around like
1: bros, sit around and get trashed and just like talk about games.
0: Well, there are other podcasts. I know that Bruce is a big fan of the Giant Bombcast, but
1: I think there's there's that one, and they might do one over at IGN. I think so. Yeah, and that's that's how podcasts work: is you get trashed and you talk about games and become increasingly incoherent. I believe that's what we're supposed to do. I so think Troy, you're the, well on the way. Good. See, I, yeah.
0: I, I, I thought the Jeff Green scandal of 2007 they cleaned up the podcast environment.
1: <laughs> By the way, I just wanted to tell our listeners that Troy was hoping that we would open this podcast with music from
2: Cabaret. I am not making any of that up.
0: No. All- I had a wonderful. I was brought- going
2: to sing. I was going to sing Edelweiss.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and the reason that- is because this week's podcast is brought to you by Inglorious Bastards, directed by Quentin Tarantino and starring a lot of people who you would know of. When the country goes to war, Tarantino is there. Inglorious Bastards. Check your local paper for listings.
0: Yeah, the worst spelling of any movie not made by Uwe Uwe Boll.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it it, it ties into the subject matter.
0: And today's subject matter is... Grand strategy games dealing with World War II, uh, provoked by last weekend's release, or Friday's release, of Hearts of Iron 3, which I gave a very positive review. Uh, Well, a positive review. On CrispyGamer.com on Friday, a game which I hardly recommend, though it does have some significant problems with lag and a few minor interface issues, it is still, I think, a strategy game that every strategy gamer should own and should play. And though I am not a big fan of the Hearts of Iron series, it is a series I have had many problems with through the years, it is the one I can unequivocally recommend. Every strategy gamer? Yes. Wow. Wow. Okay. Let's, let's dig into that. Why,
2: what yeah. is it about it that makes it like this archetype of strategy game that well, everybody should play?
0: It is a game that, I mean, people who have read me know that I'm not a huge fan of user customization. I think it's a bit of a cop-out for the designer to say, if you want to do this, you can do this. If you don't want to do this, you can just leave it up to the AI. AI. After a certain point, it gets to the stage where uh, the designer just loses focus. I don't. I think this escapes that. I think this is the magic bullet for the virtual viceroy problem, where you can macro and micro your war experience and customize it to such a nice fine detail that it does feel like you are controlling the war at whatever stage you want to control the war at, above you know above the I guess the brigade level. Uh, I think that it is probably the best interface Paradox has ever done. I think that there are certainly some historical and geographical problems with the map, though I mean, at least they didn't put Constantinople in India, so I'm not that too concerned that Stalingrad is a few hundred miles to the northwest or southwest, wherever they stuck it. Um, I think it is, in spite of the terrible tutorial, the manual is great and the Quick Start Guide is an excellent uh, beginner's uh, guide. I wish they had put more time in the tutorial, but they didn't. and. I just love the game. I think it's really good. I do think they need to work on the engine. I think there are some issues with major, major issues with uh, lag, memory leaks, dragging of units, things just pausing for no reason whatsoever, and that has to be fixed for this to be an unmitigated success. And I said this is not an unmitigated success, but... Now, did you play this with or without the patch? I played this with... They just the just th- release patch? Right? With both. I played this with the 1.01 patch. They released it to reviewers a couple of days before they released it on release day. Uh, so I had that, and there were a few small problems introduced with the new patch, but it fixed the big problems that I had. So they weren't uh, didn't have to be mentioned in the review since my playing experience wasn't really guided by them. I really love this game. I think it is the best World War II grand strategy game since... The one I've enjoyed most since, Class of, since Clash of Steel, and it is an orders of magnitude more complicated than Clash of Steel. Now, Tom, you often posted a lot about it, and Julian, you sound astonished by the fact I would recommend this. Well, no, I haven't played it. I mean, I'll be honest, I haven't played it yet. Have you, no, any of the, just, have you played any of the Have you played any of the Hearts of Iron games, or is this an entirely new series for you? It's an entirely new series for me, which is why I'm curious
2: why you think it's so. I mean, what if you hate World War II? <laughs> Wait
1: a minute, hold on, Julian. What kind of self-respecting strategy gamer hates World War II? That
0: well, I it's, mean, I that, that, that I've can't be suffering possible. I Duty
2: World War Two burnout for about two
0: or three years. I've, I refuse to, to accept that anybody who plays ASL is tired of World War Two. What they're tired of. Of is World War Two being done poorly, or of a game that adds nothing new to their World War Two experience?
1: Yeah, War II I, re- I refuse to believe that any strategy gamer can be. I mean, I can understand being burned out on it, as like shooters and stuff. But there World War Two is so big, and it's so many different things that you cannot possibly be a strategy gamer and not like
0: love World War Two. Well, I'm actually. Oh, you that's mean, you that's could quite a gauntlet. That, <laughs> I don't, I'm, I'm going to disagree with that. I think you cannot love World War II, but World War II, I think, is in many ways the archetypal modern conflict. Well, it's, it's not only that. I think it's the here's 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 a gauntlet. I'll throw this down. World
1: War II is the greatest human endeavor ever.
2: What do you think of wow. that? That's that's a gauntlet. Thank you, sure. Tom Brokaw. I, I understand why you say that. I mean, I, I understand. I mean, you, I, we can all shorthand all the reasons why you say that, right? So that's fine. You so know, it's certainly the sweeping everything. global conflict ever, you know, loss of life, you know, economic dri- drive, the whole nine yards. I, I understand why that. I'm not saying it's not a suitable topic for simulation. Don't get me wrong. Um but, but there just like there are people who really get off on just ancients or Napoleonics or don't like to have a real world setting and prefer their strategy gaming more abstract. I think it's I think it's over the top to say if you don't like World War II, you can't possibly be a strategy gamer. I, I think that
0: no, a I, lot I was, of people I would say you can be a strategy gamer, but you're broken. <laughs>
1: And to be fair, Julian, yeah, I, we're just sort of goofing around here, but I, I think no, uh, I, know. I, I take more of an issue with the particular approach Hearts of Iron as a series takes and, and Troy sort of making a, a blanket recommendation. I mean, I certainly appreciate what uh, Paradox is doing, but I, I'm just really surprised you would make such a wide recommendation for it. Now that you have elaborated a bit, I, I sort of understand.
0: So where would, uh, you, where would you constrain that recommendation well, it, Hearts of Iron takes a very – it's really its own
1: thing. I mean, there, there, there's different ways to do World War II, and there's no – nobody's really tried this. Uh, yeah. And, you know, Paradox, it's immensely successful for them. But I now consider myself – and here's one of the reasons, Troy, that I haven't really posted uh, a lot about Hearts Hearts of Iron 3 – but I suspected when I was reviewing Hearts of Iron 2 way back when, and I have since confirmed, that this particular approach just doesn't work for me. Uh, as a strategy gamer, what they're doing is not really something that I'm interested in.
2: Well, okay. Uh, now, now, pretend pretend everybody else hasn't played this, like me. What is that approach that you think is, is sure. not for you? So, so the approach is taking the Euro Universalis engine, which is a
1: continuous real-time... Uh, engine that sort of runs one day at a time literally mm-hmm. uh, and applying it to World War two in fact it runs one uh, hour at a time oh yeah yeah exactly yes uh, thank you Troy uh, and it, it's slicing World War two into such thin tiny components uh, so much so that I think it's it you know the big picture uh, gets swallowed in all these little in all this minutia. Uh, and it's really oh, but, hard for me to keep up with and sort of to care about the decisions I'm making when I'm playing uh, the Hearts of Iron series.
2: Huh. So what is the smallest unit size? Like a how, brigade, how, is that right, Troy? A brigade, a brigade, brigade of a right? So this a is a, a croupier stick on the sand table game. Yeah. What right. was that? So, even? I mean, a, I, I thought that was
0: a... A, a croupier stick, like on one of those rakes they use to move to planes around the battle of britain movies
2: oh wow no that was good julian very good <laughs> you can put the, i will not even charge you for that you can just put that in print um <laughs> <laughs> but Tomorrow i think one, part of the up, issue up, that I, part of the issue that i have is that what i love about world war ii as a genre is actually the the sort of squad level stuff right, right. and that's why Advanced squad leader is my favorite you know world war ii genre game ever um, and, and I'm actually one of those people, and there's a big division in your players about whether or not you approve or disapprove of off-board artillery. And that's like a big dividing factor, right? Whether whether the conflict should be entirely based on what you see on the board or whether these external forces should have anything to do with it. And that's sort of the antithesis of what you're talking about because, you know, part of what I find so compelling about World War II is that in-the-trenches matchup. Well, there's none of that. There's nothing
1: tactical. Right. It's all operational level, although yep. what's, what's interesting, I mean, one of the things that Hearts of Iron, th- the series does, uh, that I respect and that makes me want to want to play this game, uh, is there's so much historical detail. I mean, Paradox, those guys, bless their hearts, they are so into history uh, at a level that nobody else really does. I mean, even one if of they, the they, even if you puts, do... Even
0: if they put Stalingrad in the wrong place... Clearly a Even if they put Stalingrad
1: in the wrong place, which I didn't realize. I mean, I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not that much of a Grognard. But, but one of the things they do is they'll for the up the technical up the technological upgrades. For instance, you know you you get the name of the rifle that you're equipping your brigade with. Uh, you know you get the name of the variant of the Messerschmitt that you're fielding with this air wing versus that air wing. Uh, and I love that. I mean, I, you get names of. Now, Troy, is are they still using historical personages? I know there's like ministers and stuff. They're not like randomizing any of that, I mean, are they? At, 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 at the tech level or... The tech? No, no, no. Like, for instance, you can set up a, a cabinet... Uh, you know you yeah. set up your, your advisors those are all historical yeah. personages
0: right uh, just, all, all your leaders are historical uh, personages all your Academy ministers are historical personages. I'm not sure if if you get a random level if you know if Canada runs out of war ministers I'm not sure if, if they dial down to Saskatchewan to find anybody and it's random at that point uh, but no so it's all historical um, and you know I wasn't sure I would like all the tech detail to be honest. Because it is just my first thought that we th- they threw out for the parts of wire, Iron 1 2. There were, if you wanted to research, you know, chassis in America, you, you'd get Ford to do it. I thought, oh, wow, I get to use Ford. And that was an important part of, you know, tying me to the history. They threw all that out to get into a more, you know, technical understanding of how research is done. And I wasn't sure I'd like it, but damn it, I love it. I love how they've done the technology. And I think part of it is because it is taking a broader historical view and not a more narrow historical view. It's not that I am researching such and such a Messerschmitt. It's that in order for this Messerschmitt research to proceed smoothly, what do I need to do? Well, I'd better start making fighter planes. My pilots can tell the researchers what's wrong with our damn Messerschmitts. This entire has larger historical feedback loop, and that's hard to speak of large history in a decade-long period, but there's understanding of how things work almost a more organic understanding of technology
1: and I've i actually like that Troy is that, that you are researching uh, practical and theoretical or you, you have a i forget exactly how it works but what happens is you research things like okay the fuel tanks the lighter engines uh, the the wing structure and then eventually that measurement variant happens. You don't say, okay, I want this type of plane. It's sort of like you tell your scientists to work on these projects and eventually Paradox puts a historical name on the research that you get. Uh, And I really like that and it reminds me a bit of I think there was Master of Orion 2 or something. You could have blind research. where It really created this idea of, okay, my scientists are working. What new toy am I going to get? Rather than, okay, I want that toy. I'm going to make a beeline to it.
0: And the genius of it is that some of the practical stuff you can actually research. I mean, you can research certain infantry stuff just by, you know, supply organization and stuff, and that gives you infantry, leadership, practical use. Other stuff, you don't get any practice until you actually build the units and send them into combat. So you're not going to learn the practical side of tanks until you actually build the tank and send them out there. Right. And I really love that. I think that really enforces the ideas of doctrine. It enforces the idea that, okay, if I want to pursue this avenue of military conquest, if I want, you know, expensive but fast tank units, then I have to actually build them and use them. And that's going to take time away from my production. And it's an investment you have to make. It's a decision you have to make over a number of years, a number of months. And as war happens, research moves more quickly. I was playing the Americans, and my research was just popping up continually because the experience was gaining continually. Well, cause you're so you're America, too. Well, yeah. <laughs> you, you already have this huge investment, and now all of a sudden that's getting multiplied by the fact you are uh, sending yourself oh, right. to combat. Right. You actually feel like you're all of a sudden in a war research environment. Now, here's, Troy, one of
1: the areas where the, this sort of got killed for me, like where my interest right. started to flag and I realized this isn't for me, is that what happens is you do all this cool research stuff and you get, like, the, the new rifles or the new measurement variant or something, and the practical effect of that is your infantry gets plus 5% toughness, which is its defense right. value when it's on the offense. So it's such a little, tiny, specialized thing, yeah. but, I mean, it, it all gets right. so... And to, to Paradox's credit, they're so good at exposing the math, at, at letting you look at the bald numbers if you want to look at, which any self-respecting strategy gamer should want to look at. But it also, because these, it, it's such this sort of spreadsheet gameplay, right. and you know when a battle takes place, it just sort of chugs along, and you can look at the tooltips on what's happening. But right. I just feel so out of touch with how all of these pieces fit together. I mean, it just seems to. Right. There's like a, it's like a, it's like an underground river, and there's awesome terrain on top of it, but I'm just dropping stuff into this river, and I feel like it's not really affecting the flow of the river, and that's a me problem, and not a paradox problem.
0: I'm I mean, not, this is the, I'm not sure this is, the, this, is, this is a you problem. In fact, this is one of the discussions, one of the questions I want to guide our discussion on World War II strategy games. How fine can you take the detail before you lose the grand strategy? One thing I didn't get into in my review was that at one at some point you get so invested in the combat that you just lose track of the diplomacy and the economy and the industrial stuff because you just gotta push your troops across the Rhine. At what point does the real does the grand strategy get subsumed under all of this detail or does all the detail become too fine that it doesn't matter? What's the difference between an Axis and allies, which is, you know, super pushing tanks across this cartoon board? And then it's a very I guess more more detailed, you have the Hearts of Iron. Is there a sweet middle there? Is there a point where the payoff is greatest for the greatest number? Is there a utilitarian mean we're looking for?
1: I think that that is though a situation Troy where it is like a me problem and not a paradox problem. I mean, I think that's an individual player threshold. Uh, I think of there's a fellow on quarter to three who posts named Scott Jennings. He posts his Lum and he writes these awesome AARs of. The grand strategy and how it unfolds in Hearts of Iron. Actually, he's done it, I think, for the series all along. Yeah. And I, I can never. I have a hard time playing at that level and wrapping my brain around that macro level of everything that's happening. Even while the macro. In the- even the macro level. Well, that's what I'm saying. Is he, he? has an appreciation. Obviously, he's one of the many players who has right. an appreciation for who, who that modeling all that minutia doesn't detract from the macro level. Uh, and i can't wrap my brain around that very well i, I think of world war II. i enjoy it much more axis and allies is sort of the far end of the spectrum but i enjoy more abstraction that doesn't distract me so much from that macro level so uh, and class, i think again it, that's just my threshold
0: a clash of steel making history type thing or sure. yeah yeah absolutely julian i, I don't know i mean I, like, I i find i find
2: in general that that i get very susceptible to the falling in love with one particular set of units and wanting to direct their combat, if that's an option. I mean, not just World War II games, but in general, um, I, I find myself getting sucked into playing tactical games inside strategy games if I'm given that option. So, I mean, I think that's a problem that, that all strategy games have to deal with. And and games that get the balance right and really let you move smoothly between them are by far the exception, not the rule. I mean, I would, I would put it as an example that I know I, I can't talk about anything that doesn't have anything to do with World War II tonight, but I would use Sins of Assault or Empire as a game that, that lets you move sort of the, those levels of detail smoothly and seamlessly um, and without necessarily worrying so much that you've immediately lost sight of something else.
1: Well, here's where I think Hearts of Iron 3 and what, what Troy mentioned earlier, uh, here's where this iteration in the series... Does something different and I, I presume sort of special. I, I haven't played it a lot and I'll talk about that in a minute but, but Troy you were talking about the automation and, and I know one of their big new things is you can set up a sort of a, a theater AI or a front AI and you can give a headquarters a basic directive and let it handle it. I mean you can play Hearts of Iron 3 at a higher level and you couldn't in, in a way that you couldn't do with the previous right. games. Am I right Troy? Yeah.
0: In fact, you could, there are three different levels of headquarters, and each at the the highest headquarter with the objectives is the one that directs, either at the army level or all the way down to the brigade level. Uh, and but, so
1: it is a matter of you've just got your units, and you're sort of telling them what to do. But but it, when that happens, Troy, I sort of was looking at that and thinking, well, then why aren't I just playing Clash of Steel? Uh, Cause
0: it's, because it is so much finer. Uh, it is... So much more customizable. The fact, you can the Clash of Steel was such on a, on a huge level. I think the fineness of the detail, right. uh, the objectives that you can set, how you can trust—if you're fighting a really hard battle in, you know, France—and you don't, because these are real-time games, you really just don't have the time to face what's going on in Italy. Knowing that you can set general objectives down there. Uh, in real time and have them move and trust and just just with a glance, those simple little numbers, just a glance, know what's going well. Uh, you know, it's, the attack's going 70% well. The defense is going... 70% well this simple. Actually, little yeah that's plan. right
1: those are those new Troy like that basic actually that's always been part of the that,
0: that combat. Is new that's been one the, that's in, that's new to this this part of the game knowing just at a glance how well an attack is going either for you or for the opponent so oh, you as far know
1: as showing it on the strategic map yeah. right I mean didn't they always ma- measure a battle with yeah. that bar that shows the winner or the loser
0: right but you had to click on the battle itself to do it Right. And now they've got the
1: numbers showing. You're right. Actually, that's a great little thing. And it's a thing.
0: great little thing that you know where the problem is going to be. So do you have to intervene here directly or do you not? Can you trust your guys to not screw up because you could get an 80% attack going here on your way to Paris? I'm doing fine. Let's go and focus on the problem. It lets you deal with where the problem is going to be. Uh, maybe in maybe in a turn-based game, this isn't as big a concern like Clash of Steel or in a huge urban. I mean, Clash of Steel is this huge scale. Um, in a recent game from Matrix, uh, Time of Wrath, worst game title ever. Uh, but it is, it is as far as I can tell, just Clash of Steel 2009. It is the same general idea. Uh, it's a little more detailed than Clash of Steel uh, at the military level. But it's the same general idea. It, it, it's turn-based. You just look at your strength numbers and move them across or not. You know if you're going to suck or not because you've got a bad attack and they've got a strong defense. I just love how Hearts of Iron 3 gives you the chance to step in and let you know where you should step in. Um, I think it is... A lot of people have complained that it's not very good for you know newbies just walking in. I think it's the tutorial is terrible for newbies walking in. But if you take your time with the manual and the quick strategy guide and just looking at what's in front of you, you know, don't be afraid to slow things down because eventually there's going to be too much going on and the game's going to slow itself down for you. Uh, there is just so much, so many opportunities for you to learn and intervene that it's Problem of Paradox's best game, and it's not my favorite of their games, but it's the best uh, Hearts of Iron game, and I hope it sells a billion copies for them.
1: Well, that's probably also a safe assumption, too, that I, I'm, I'm predicting... Uh, that it will be their best-selling game. Yes. Because uh, didn't they, Hearts of Iron 2 did just Im- yep. much better than their previous games. It, and it's huge number. Yeah, yeah, so this will do well for them.
0: So, Tom, you said you're not playing this, and is there a reason so, for yeah, it? here's how, yeah, so a couple of things. I uh, mentioned you, the tutorial. Because you, you, are, you are a fan of Paradox. You've played a lot of their games. You're a big fan of the Crusader King series. You gave Europa Universalis uh, very strong reviews. And I love World War II, unlike
1: Julian. Uh, so, yeah, now here's so here's how this, this went for me. Uh, the game arrived, I booted it up, played the tutorial, and by the way, for new players, uh, the tutorial really just sort of yes, scratches yes. the surface. It's Yeah, it's not very helpful, and I, I really do question. I know that Paradox is like, oh, we're being tongue-in-cheek, we're being a little cagey and funny, but I really do question the wisdom of having the tutorial conducted by Adolf Hitler, who at the end of the tutorial walks off-screen effectively and shoots himself in the head. I mean, that's not... That's, you know, I don't know, maybe yeah. Yeah, Maybe that's just their sense of humor. It's the Scandinavian humor. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not making any of that up. That, that's, that's exactly what happens. So the, there's that tutorial. Then there is, Troy, there's the quick start guide. That's very helpful. But for a new player, and what I've always done, is, is play the Spanish Civil War. Just just boot up his Spain, uh, sort of move around the units. The Spanish Civil War will kick in. And you've got a little sort of self-contained example a lot of the things you're going to have to deal with later. Uh, so that's how I got into Hearts of Iron 2. That's what I did with uh, Hearts of Iron 3. Uh, and I started doing that. I realized, okay, this is I, I don't know a lot of what's going on. I stopped. I read the manual. It's a pretty good manual. And then I went back and I started playing the Spanish Civil War again. And somewhere, for a couple of reasons, I decided, you know what? A, as I mentioned before, I don't really think this design is for me personally. This exceeds my threshold of minutiae the ratio of minutiae to grand strategy. Uh, but but B, uh, so three things. A is I don't think it's for me personally. B, uh, and I know Paradox bristles when people say this and I can't blame them, but I really am going to wait for a couple of patches. Uh, mm-hmm. I just think, you know, and, and I think that that decision has paid off because I see now this should be fixed by the time this podcast uh, goes live, but I see now they've got some terrible problem where economies are completely borked because you need more consumer goods than you should, uh, like there's a huge, there's apparently some huge bug that's screwing up every nation's economy, and it, uh, so I'm, I'm glad I'm not wading through that. And uh, I know Johan has said there's a couple, they're going to hot fix that. There's a couple other things they're looking at, but it, it's really a fact. I mean, paradox doesn't have the resources to really beta test the scale of games that they're doing as well as they should. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing is that I think I'll wait for a few patches. And then the third thing, and this is such, you know, the interface just kills me. I just cannot deal in 2009 with these terrible backwards interfaces. Why on earth does Paradox hate hotkeys so much? (laughs) <laughs> Why do they think that every single gamer has had his left hand severed at the wrist? I have two hands. One of my hands does the mouse. The other has, what is 102 keys I'm looking at right here. Uh, let me open various screens. Let me change the map overlays. Let me hotkey, you, you know, different displays on the statistics screen. They do these enormous encyclopedias of statistics, some of which are important, I'm thinking of the EU games let me just jump to one of them and they just don't do that and I don't know if they don't care or if the rest of their user base just doesn't care that much but good I, Lord, what's going on I, I, over I it.
2: will admit that this is something that I generally run into you know I ran into it with birth America I ran into it with the EU games it drives me crazy
1: and the thing is they I mean I don't
2: maybe other people don't complain enough or
1: maybe I'm just a freak I, maybe we're just some weird little freaks who don't use our mouses very well. But the buttons, too, are just so tiny. And it's—I uh, just the interface is just such a big mess. So before I sort of... Pl- and I can deal with bad interfaces. But before I really feel like plunging into that, I want to let it get patched up. But even then, I'm just not sure this is the game for me. So that that's why I haven't spent a, a lot of time with it. But good Lord, I love World War II. And, uh, you know, I, I love grand strategic World War II games... Uh, but I'm just not sure I'm interested in
0: playing this one at this point. So, so what makes a good World War II grand strategic game? If there, do you have any well, classes? I made, what what is I better, a list better than Iron Three? Mm-hmm. No, go ahead,
1: Don. I made it. a list here of everything. I'll, the reason that all uh, the reason that all strategy gamers should love World War II, and Julian, I hope I can sort of inform you a little bit here is that World War II has everything. Uh, if you name it, it's in World War Two. So Dragons, Lasers.
0: Dragons. Lasers.
1: Dragons. Elves. Okay, hold on. I'm adding that to the list.
0: Uh, okay, those <laughs> things. Do, 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 do the Dutch count as hobbits?
1: <laughs> you know what? You guys screwed up my list, because the, the only thing... I had something that wasn't in World War Two that would make it better, and now you guys are adding, the only thing I had on my list of things that aren't in World War II that should be in there, uh, helicopters. So you guys, and hold Hearts on. Of Iron 3, you,
0: in Hearts of Iron 3, you can research helicopters.
1: Elves. Oh, okay, good point. I'm crossing that out. Okay, dragons and elves, I don't think you can uh, research. So you have a good point there. Uh, but you know what? World War II even has, uh, well, it's got Nazis, first of all. That's, that's vital for a good game. Uh, World War II, here you guys go. World War II has Julie Andrews. Did you guys know that?
2: I, I, I Yes, I do. Do you want me to oh, sing? Yes. No, oh, good Lord, no.
0: <laughs> Climb every mountain, yada yada. Uh,
1: I've never seen that movie, by the way. Just oh, a,
0: God. You're, you're such a liar. Even.
1: No, no, no. I've actually never seen there's some, uh, Sound there's of a, Music.
0: There's The Wizard of Oz and now The you Sound have, of Music. If you haven't read Ender's
2: Game, you haven't... You haven't Seen
1: I'm in the middle of. A, I'm still in the middle of my long Vietnam book, but I've, I will read Ender's Game. But, but no, so I only know that I did not know, by the way, until recently that Sound of Music was about World War II. That there were Nazis in Sound of Music. Well, I did not know it, that.
0: It's not about World War II. It's about the the Anschluss before World War II. But anyway,
1: oh, you've upset my cat with that. So I hope you're happy. <laughs> uh, so so that's what it takes to make a good World War II game is. Not necessarily anything, because you can do any kind of game and make it about World War II. Uh, like like Julian was saying, tactical squad level game, awesome World War II game. Larger, abstract, uh, grand strategic game, Clash of Steel, awesome World War II game. A shooter, you know, Call of Duty, awesome World War II game. A sim, you know, fighter planes, secret weapons of the Luftwaffe, whatever, awesome World War Two game. So I don't think it's just, World War Two is so big and generous and gives us so much uh, that any kind of game you want to make, you know, it's there. Because World,
0: World War Two is
1: the human experience. There you go. There you go. Uh, but, so, uh, Troy, like, what are, what are the... Uh, what What's the, this Time of Wrath thing you were talking about?
0: It's a new game that's been published by Matrix uh, Games. Mm-hmm. just came out this past week, and I played it, I was on a vacation to New York this past weekend, so I played it on my uh, notebook on the train. It was very much, it's very retro. It's very much, like I said, Clash of Steel 2009. It is neither revolutionary nor innovative uh, nor especially interesting. I still haven't quite figured out uh, the whole naval theater thing yet. Uh, If someone is interested in like an old-school theater-level World War II game, this is it, but it reminds me of Clash of Steel because it is the research and diplomacy. What makes a grand strategy game a grand strategy game is it's not just about moving the men around. It's about other things, diplomacy, research, industry, keeping all this stuff balanced. That's what makes grand strategy, grand strategy. And it has, once again, the very simplified issues of diplomatic points, like Clash of Steel had, of research being along very specific tracks, like Clash of Steel had. Um, It's an updated version, I think, of that old SSI title, and I wonder how much originality is even in it. I still have to play it a lot more. I had better things to do in New York than play a World War II game when I could go and see statues of Beethoven in Central Park. You know, Beethoven's one of the most famous New Yorkers of all time. Uh, But... It, uh, First of all, don't
1: pretend, Troy, that you didn't go to some weird Broadway musical. It I, is I not. Know for a fact. It
0: is not a weird Broadway musical. In the Heights is no. an awesome Broadway musical, and we had great okay. seats. And I will get. You didn't I, did you spam a lot? I of course not. I went to see In the Heights. I just won a Tony Award. And it was a great show, and I got a million husband points. And my wife. <laughs> okay. and my okay. wife's, My wife's oh, probably God. deaf in one year. Time of Wrath is <laughs> a terrible. <laughs> title. On, wait a minute! From what? you like yelling at her, or what? you don't want to leave oh, the, no. the listeners hanging oh, oh, there. I you know, I was really yelling, no, it's because uh, we were in we were in great seats, uh, orchestra seats, third row back, uh, speaker right in our faces, and it's all ample now, sound now on Broadway, so. Now, can you have a musical about World War II? We already have. The producers? Uh, another it's, 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 it's the, the sound of music, that's but if it springtime ah, for Hitler and, and Germany. Yeah, producers, sure, why not? And others, I'm sure. I'm sure there's an Anne Frank musical somewhere in the works. It's one of my favorite songs of all time. Springtime for Hitler? Springtime See, for Hitler. that's what I should have played to open the, to open the show. You should have. You can go back and edit that in. I will go back and edit in Springtime for Hitler.
1: Now, uh, there was also, I think, Troy, this was either Matrix or Battleground. Uh, there was a abstract, grand strategic level World War II game. I think it was a French developer called maybe something
2: like Command. If it's World now. War Two, how is it abstract?
0: Well, there's Commander War in Europe, which was produced, which was uh, published by Slytherin last year.
1: Is that it? The, and did it get an expansion? In the house, house
0: from I Harry think, Potter? Did it get an? Yeah, yes, Slytherin. It's they predate Harry Potter, but yes. Uh, whether it got. I think it got a billion patches. I'm not sure it got an expansion. Okay, but that was that was
1: a sort of a Clash of Steel yeah. level uh, yeah. World War II game, right? Yeah. And which Julian, was... by abstract, I mean it sort of abstracts a lot of the detail that is modeled explicitly in, in Hearts of Iron.
0: And uh, I, gave it a, I gave it a middling review, but it did one of the... It is still, I think, the best game at capturing one of the hardest things to capture in a World War II game, and that is the Battle of the Atlantic. And we'll be talking about this in a future podcast. We'll be talking about uh, the difficulty of modeling naval issues in strategy games. I think it's an important issue we should really deal with. And World War II games generally suck at capturing the naval side because they're good at capturing combat. You know, you just all your battleships and submarines fighting it out. But World War II was won in Europe, uh, in the Atlantic, over the interception of convoys and making sure supplies and material got to England and Russia on time so they could, you know, fight back the forces of tyranny and Rush Limbaugh. But we have... And Commander War War in Europe, what it does is it has the convoys come, you know, from Canada and the Americas as a number, like ninety or sixty or something. It's just a number, and it's a convoy, and you can attack it with your submarines if you're the Germans. And that number goes down. Whatever number reaches England, that's what they get. Simply, actually, it's a beautiful abstraction. It's a beautiful abstraction of what this was about.
1: Uh, it's one of the ban- kind of how that's traditionally been modeled, isn't it? Is that that's sort of the, the allies...
2: It's like an model. Yeah. yeah. And,
1: and, and, right, and, and, yeah. And, like how, uh, ma- how much uh, the, the Germans put into submarine warfare impacts the, the- reinforcements that the allies get. Uh, like, Clash of Steel had something like that, didn't it?
0: Yeah, it wasn't quite as interactive, but yeah, it had, some, it had something to that effect. What uh, Commander War in Europe did had, was made it more direct. You would define the convoys, get your submarines out there into the lines, interact with them. Which, by the
1: way, is another reason that World War II is so cool. It's got Atlantic submarine warfare.
0: Uh, you, you know, that's that's just an awesome thing to model. The best uh, submarine movies are World War II submarine movies. Uh, I uh, think
1: Crimson. What is that stupid thing, Crimson, Crimson Tide? Tide? Crimson Tide would like
0: a word with you. Yeah, you couldn't even <laughs> you couldn't even remember the title. I know <laughs> that October. You got me. Das Boot runs <laughs> silent. October. Das Boot, run silent,
1: run deep. Oh, God, dust Boot. You know what? Julian Troy totally just closed the argument. He's right. Das, yeah, Boot. das Boot. You is, can't beat is, that. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yes,
2: but Although, what was that movie about the nuclear sub, the Russian nuclear sub? That one was pretty much. 19 The Widowmaker, with
1: Harrison Ford and his Russian accent.
2: It was totally crazed,
1: but I loved Directed that Directed by uh, Catherine Bigelow, who did hurt Locker, by the way. Not, not one of her finer moments.
2: The, no, the, 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 no. The, the, it's not a great movie, but for, it's one of those It's one of those guilty pleasure movies that, like, if it's on on TV and I was skipping by, I'd be like, oh, this scene, I remember this scene. Like,
0: I'll, I'll, I'll I, grant I
1: have, you the guilty of it, I'm not granting you the pleasure. So. <laughs> I, have a, I have
0: a weakness for submarine movies, I love submarine movies. But yeah,
1: Troy, you're right, I mean, World War II uh, was sort of, that's this, it, it's almost Troy-like, uh, like maybe some flight sim well, you know what? If, if air if if the history of aerial combat wasn't so awesome, think about how like people remember uh, the air battle in World War One. You, you know, like the the, the World War Two submarine combat really is just this awesome historical moment. Uh, and it's never and it's along.
2: never been there's never been anything quite like it, right? Because anything that you do with submarines after World War Two is totally different because the technology right. completely right. changed.
1: And you know what? It really was kind of yeah. It was, it, and yeah. that was one of the. That's just on a larger level. And I'm sorry, Julian, to cut you off, but I just on a, on a larger you're level. used to it. I understand. Yeah. I, I didn't. I just. I, I got so excited. <laughs> for a minute. I, and this is. Here's. So here's what. Re, one of the things that's really in World War II that's so exciting to me, and that lends itself so well to gaming, is that so much of World War II happened on the cusp of technological development as right. we were learning or developing right. and, and, and starting to put into practice a new technology. Right. Uh, and not just an upgraded gun or something, but something no, like solar it's and jets, radar and submarines, jets and airplanes, and jets, that nukes. And That's right. Yeah. There are nukes in World War II. You know, you can't say that about any other war. Uh, and wh- who? what gamer doesn't want to see what, what effect a nuke is going to have? Uh, no, I'm sorry, I got all excited and I cut you
2: off. No, but again. that's now that we started talking about I mean, I still think Silent Hunter 3 is one of, like, it's just an amazingly awesome underrepresented game in the annals of gaming history. And, uh, and I think submarine combat is, you know, we, we'll do this on our show about naval combat, but I think Silent Hunter 3 to me is one of the few games that's ever gotten naval combat right. Granted, not a strategy game, uh, but still awesome fun. You know what? Since uh, I make a move, since
1: Sims are basically dead and have no home anymore, I think we should now put them under the rubric of strategy gaming.
0: Well, considering they're dead, we might as well. I, I'm willing going to talk to adopt, about IL two. I'm going to adopt them. Yeah. Everybody's so, going okay. to Everybody's going to be talking about IL two when Bird of Prey comes out. I'm buying that.
2: That's an
1: Xbox 360 I, the controls game. Controls are backwards. Yes,
0: like, like I know it. it is
2: a 360 game. Yes, <laughs> and the controls are backwards. It's unplayable. Uh, just invert your mouse, Julian. No, 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 they've got them on the wrong sticks. They did stick controls, but they put ailerons and, and uh, elevators on the left stick together sure as opposed to splitting them.
0: I'm, I'm sure I'll figure it out. Um, <laughs> one of my big so problems... What, was, one of the, so I just... Oh, uh, go ahead, Troy. You, you have say, a big problem, and I have well, one, but you go World with World War II part. in general is how European-centered it is. And I think this is one of the big problems in Hearts of, the Hearts of Iron series in general. Hearts of Iron 3 tries to fix it and doesn't quite. Not enough for me not to recommend the game, but Japan is screwed. Japan really has screwed. J- Japan, Japan really has the AI. Really doesn't know what the AI doesn't know what to do with Japan. And no, they,
2: that's terrible because Japan to be on the brink of total, you know, world domination all the time, right until they're not. Well, I'm like, I wouldn't go that far. Well, but uh, I'm just saying that 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 you know, I, Japan should be.
0: You know, you, you and should I, underestimate I, Japan at your peril, right? Right. I, mean, that, that's the, I, I that's think this goes to a larger. think this goes to a larger problem that we're going to be addressing in future in a future episode. But whole, how do you model naval combat? How do you get an AI to respect naval combat?
2: um and if Japan well, we had talked about this when we talked about Warplan Pacific before that right. uh, one of the things that's kind of cool about that game is there is that sense of sort of Japan sort of just being on the brink of totally kicking your ass all the way through the game even if you're just about to win right. as
0: the Americans because Japan because in Warplan Pacific is a beautiful elegant game where Japan has a script and it's a script of things it can try to aspire to and I'm not quite sure any game either War Warplan Pacific or Hearts of Iron One, Two, Three really knows what to do with Japan because they—the grand campaign starts with it fighting China. And once right. you start fighting a land war, you put all your energy into the land war. Now, if you start with Japan in 1940, 41, different thing altogether. Japan's got a naval thing built up, and it's all set to kick your ass the AI is not very good at adjusting on the fly to the land naval combat thing, and I think you see the same thing with America in reverse where it's very focused on naval in the beginning of the campaign if they're your opponent and then have a hard time switching over to land, so you're facing the French, which is like you know facing you know the Canadians of Europe well you uh, just
1: you just stole my point troy and i I could, okay, well, that's well what did your point was well that 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 World War two If it had had the courtesy to break itself into two wars, one in Europe and one in the Pacific, the whole thing would be much more manageable. But the fact that any grand strategic recreation of World War II has to address the European and the Pacific theater, both of which were completely different types of struggles, and it's really hard to sort of model those with one model, uh, that's a huge problem. Uh, So has has,
0: has any game done this well?
1: Well, I'm so glad you mentioned War Plan Pacific because it didn't have that problem. It didn't have to deal with Europe. You know, they're just like, ah, forget Europe. We're just doing uh, the Pacific. And uh, yeah, so I don't, I don't remember actually how well it worked or didn't work in Clash of Steel. Uh, Clash of Steel was just Europe. No way. Oh, that's right, because that's where you did the counter, the clockwise or the counterclockwise uh, around the Mediterranean up
0: through Turkey thing. Right.
1: Oh, so they sidestepped it. They cheated. That's
0: where where you did the counterclockwise up through Turkey thing. Some of us don't cheat. I I was not clever
1: enough to come up with that. I read that somewhere and then did it. (laughs) Uh, And just for our listeners, this is some cheesy strategy where I guess you could be as the allies. You could cross Gibraltar, move all your forces across North Africa, work your way up the Middle East, invade through Turkey, uh, and then take out Germany. It was something where you're basically scouring the map in a counterclockwise direction.
0: I thought it was as the Axis. You'd go through Spain, then North America, then Turkey, and then open a second front against the Soviets. And
1: you can see how well I adopted it because I yeah I didn't even remember that.
0: Which works very well in Hearts of Iron Three, by the way. No way. Are you serious? Well, you don't move along. You just keep pressuring Turkey till they join on your side. Okay. That's what I did as you a German. You don't cross the... Gibraltar
1: and do the whole thing across. You don't send all your units across North Africa.
0: No, you and use, you use um, Ribbentrop's natural charm to get everybody to join the Axis. And, and that's actually a,
1: a problem with the abstract uh, games, too, is when things happen on such a large model, it's hard to force them to be historical if you're just going to abstract so much of the smaller
2: stuff. Uh, well, but thing. this is – I mean, now I'm going to get back to your point, Tom, which is that part of the problem with World War II is it does have so much going on in there. I mean, you have – I mean, we, we, we can go on countless digressions, right? But, I mean, there's a reason that there are whole genres of strategy games built around little components of World War II, right? Whether, you've got, whether it's ASL or whether it's Rommel or whether it's, you know, the War in the Pacific. I mean, there, there are countless sort of sub-genres of strategy gaming dedicated to these little tiny components of the conflict. Yeah. And to, to somehow try to create a game that's going to model all that in detail, yet maintain any sense of sort of the diplomacy level of abstraction, diplomacy, the game, level of abstraction, um, it seems impossible. I mean, maybe that's too much to expect that you can do that. Can you guys imagine how much more difficult it
1: would be to do World War II if it did have dragons and elves? <laughs> I just think I think we should be thankful those things aren't in there.
0: Yes.
2: I'm sure there's a science fiction uh, novel in there somewhere that somebody's written. Yeah, I'm
1: sure that, yeah. Uh, so I just wanted to... So these grand strategic World War II games, there's apparently a rule somewhere that they all have to be called noun, preposition, noun. You know, Time of Wrath, Clash of Steel, <laughs> Hearts of Iron, World in Flames. That's another one that I, I thought of.
0: Uh, that's, that's the Bioware rule, right? Something of something?
1: Yeah, but this is for World War II. You have to, I don't think they've done... They may apply the World War Two naming rule to their to their RPGs, uh, but I think that's like a rule here. And and the thing about these the noun preposition noun, I'm not sure I get the point of any of them. Hearts of Iron is that that must that's like from a Winston Churchill speech or something, right? I think so. Yeah, the men had hearts of iron and feet of oak and skulls of steel or something. I'm sure it was (laughs) some grains of clay, whatever. Yeah. So that I don't know. Clash of steel, I don't like that because. It makes it
2: sound like it's just tank battles. I this totally would steal that name from Troy. They're just, like, tweaking it just a little bit.
0: Holy cats, that's right. I plan on going back in... I, I will go back
1: in time and sue them, but... I didn't I think that. Do, it, do a Tim Langdahl against them, Troy. <laughs> you know who that guy is? He's the, Yeah, Us. try that. Oh. Uh, World in Flames. I don't like that. You know what? I like that on, like, a metaphorical level. So, so far, that's my favorite. Time of Wrath, I hate. That's, that sounds like it would have orcs in it. That's just stupid. Uh... No, it would be
2: awesome. We just established that orcs and trolls and and elves and dragons would be awesome in World War II games, didn't we? I thought we established that it's a good thing they're not in there because it would be even more difficult
1: to model. Like, for instance, how are you going to have mana in a World War II game? That's just a whole other, you know, your soldiers are going to have to have hit points, stamina, and now mana. That's that's just crazy. Uh, So I'm going to go out. I'm going to say the best name, and if you guys have another one to submit, I'd love to hear it. The best name for a grand strategic World War II game is World in Flames. Which is the miniatures game. Is it the miniatures game? I thought it was some, oh, rats. I thought it was some computer game. Isn't there a World in Flames? It probably is one that's called that too, but. Oh, they stole it. I hear someone Googling.
0: I totally busted (laughs) someone Googling. (laughs) I'm I'm going to go with with Gary Greeksby's War in Europe because it doesn't lie to you. Oh. <laughs> That's what it is. Hey, well, what about his War in the
1: That's right. Gary Grigsby gets the... Yeah, but it's not exciting enough. Does that sell? Is that sexy? I don't know. Is there, uh, anything, there's like 20 anything? Different- there
2: are 20 games called World in Flames, by the way. It's the subtitle The Mercenaries 2. Matrix Games does have an actual game called World in Flames, which is it probably... The one you- I'm-
1: okay. Okay. It might have even had play-by-email support, because I think I'd played that. If Bruce was here, I'm sure he would have all kinds of... There's also a scare. board game, like
2: 1985 board game. So...
1: Axis and Allies isn't and a preposition or no? It's a conjunction. Rats. Okay, so they break the rule. Uh Oh well.
0: Um, by the way, uh, Time of Wrath does have play by email, so. Ah,
2: because that's going so well for us right now.
0: Yeah. Speaking of which, Julian, is it my turn? Where's your move? (laughs) It's always your turn. It's a a simultaneous turn. turn game. <laughs> is it my turn?
2: <laughs> well, I thought I was waiting for somebody to send me my turn file. I sent you your
0: turn. Everyone else got their turn file. I should have gotten yours. I'll go look tonight. I'll go do it. It's not like uh, it takes more than eight seconds to turn. This is why, there, listeners, my dear patient listeners, this is why there have been many Dominions updates. Because it's all sh- my fault? It's not all my fault. It's, it's not all your fault. fault. No, last week it was Bruce saving lives. And this and week and no, it, at was, least, it was Julian looking after his children like a good father. Well, he has other and children. On at
1: least one occasion too, it was my fault. I mean, that's the problem with play by email: is that uh, <laughs> yeah, it, anyone it's it's only as fast as its slowest
0: player. But uh, the beauty of this game is it is never my fault because I have to send out the turns. Uh, that's a good point. You've been pretty on the ball. Yeah. So, uh,
1: so do you guys? I'm curious, real quick, uh, do you guys have much experience with the Access Nowise board game? Uh, and what are your oh, thoughts yeah. on that? Like, how do you feel? Because I love that level of like I, that to me might be I, I want to say the the perfect World War II grand strategic game. But I I might say that even though as cheesy as it is, I mean that's kind of the level that I just want to sort of goof around with World War II mm-hmm. when it comes to the macro picture of the whole world, the war in Europe and the war in the, in the Pacific uh, with all its foibles. I might have to sort of pick that as my my favorite representation. Of grand strategic World War Two,
0: I played a lot in college, and we may have to stop being friends because I hated it. Oh, right now, really? You hate it? Yeah, I just uh, I found it too boring, too predictable, uh, almost too random. I thought the research didn't work. You needed too many house rules in order for the game to work properly. Well, uh, but, but so you're playing like the antiquated old version? Like, this, like well, the versions this, of the this, game this, this was college. I mean, I'm not right. a young man.
2: Right. So, the, so the versions of the game that have you know long since been fixed uh I, I think you know the current version of access and allies um most of the expansions access and allies specific i think is great um i mean i think i think it's just great i love it i love it i think that um i think larry harris personally is a genius the designer of that game um and and i say this not just because you know he's gotten me drunk a few times he's he has this, I think, sense of what World War II is that is really comes through in that game. So I, I'm totally with you there.
0: Okay, um, so what would you say the sense of World War II is? Just ah, that a, a the sort of titanic struggle.
2: I mean, I'll go back to, to what Tom said earlier, and maybe now I agree with Tom, everything Tom says all the time. <laughs> we used to disagree on everything. Now I just think we agree on everything. But, but there's that sense that like, this is the biggest thing ever. And Axis and, and Allies, when you put that board out and you, you know, get all of your little chits stacked up and uh, it really, really does feel like the biggest thing ever. I, 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 it's got that feel, right? I mean, you're looking you're, you're looking at the entire freaking world
0: and there's something everywhere. Right. And feels really important for a strategy game of this level. I mean, you, if it doesn't feel right, it just isn't right.
2: Right, and I think that's it. And, and I mean, maybe that's it, too. It's like, how many board games that are historical do you put out a map of the planet and essentially every square inch of territory is a playable space? My Does your cat,
0: cat have anything to say?
2: He agrees. He totally <laughs> agrees. So, so, Julian,
1: for those of us, because I also, I should now confess, I have not played Axis and Allies in, in years, so I'm talking about it more sort of as, as an idea. Uh, for someone like Troy who hasn't played it, since it's been a broken thing, where you, you do you always go for strategic bombers, or do you never go for strategic bombers? <laughs> I like, like wasn't it broken something like that? Like they were yeah, totally there, useless. There, there are figures. a million,
2: there are a million little tweaks like that, and I honestly okay. don't know them because I don't play it that often. And I probably play tested expansions more than I have played the
0: original game. Does it still come down to Finland? <laughs> Finland, really? Yeah. I thought it was Karelia. I thought, well, yeah, a- Karelia—that's Eastern Finland. Battle of Corellia, Does it, there was a time where it needed a house rule to fix that. Whoever won so you that... Can tell
1: uh, us how it has evolved. Like, for guys like Troy, who haven't played it since college, uh, what is Axis
2: and Allies, and, and me as well, what is Axis and Allies like these days? Oh, God, the revisions? I mean, the the biggest change was that in the original, if I recall, uh, you could just win by seizing two capitals. Am I yep. right? Yeah. that sound right? Um and they've changed those rules, so now um, there are sort of victory cities where each side starts with a handful of a certain number, and it's it's like it's like Paris and Leningrad and I think Los Angeles in the United States, um, and you can sort of cons- you can change the victory conditions based on which cities you want to be uh, to be under contention. So it makes it a little bit less of a historical game, and you can focus on where you want the water to be. Um, so, and, oh my gosh, what other changes have there been? There have been changes unit strength all the time. What? You mentioned expansions? There's Axis and Allies Pacific. There's Axis and Allies D-Day. There's Axis and Allies, I think there's a Battle of the Bulge one. Never Wait a minute, what that. are those doing? Are those like
1: little side, little tactical battles on the
2: side or something? What the heck are those? Um, and Axis and Allies Europe would be the other one, too. Um, they basically are, um, they just are like focal points, right? So Axis and Allies Europe, obviously you're only dealing with Europe. And so it just oh, blows up the map. So oh. you're just dealing you know, with the European conflict.
1: But with oh, the same sort so of you're not playing that... Axis and Allies. It's a separate game. It's a standalone game? Oh, it's,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. So they're sort of standalone okay. games. They're sort of standalone games. Um, and now there's, like a, there's a collectible miniatures game, which I have never played, but the little tanks are really cool. Holy cats, <laughs> you're kidding. A collectible <laughs> no, miniatures no, no, a- branded with Axis and Allies. Yes, yes, and there's a little, there's See, a little, con, you know, you, you, you open random packs, and you're like, ooh, I got the, <laughs> whatever. That, that, that just know? makes me like the game even less. Wow,
0: yeah. Not, it's not, like, they just,
2: but that's just, that's just Hasbro, milk, in the brand, you know? Oh, uh, you know, or that makes sense, visit yeah. to the coats. Now, yeah. who
1: is, you mentioned this fellow, Larry Miller, what's the dude's name who invented Larry it? Larry Harris is the guy. Larry designer. Harris. Uh, Oh, and so and he's the guy who made the original game, and he's still working on these... Uh, he's these, still working uh, on...
2: It. He's, he's not doing absolutely everything, because he works with some of the guys at Avalon... Well, whoever's left from the Avalon Hill team over at Hasbro. Um, so mean, he's had people he's worked with on a lot of the expansions, which, frankly, ha- has been a good thing, because they cleaned up a lot of the rules. They've done a lot more playtesting. They've taken a lot of the stuff that we all knew was broken and house-ruled out y- years ago. Um so they changed a lot of the unit strengths and stuff like that. So I mean, it's 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 a pretty substantial thing, and the map is actually different. There's like there are like differences on like how the Eastern Front's constructed. Right. Um, they like blew up. Uh, I think most of like Germany now has multiple small territories in it, as opposed to just be like being one monolithic presence there. So all of those, all of that's different from the game you played, you know, back oh, in so nineteen thirty-seven when you went to college.
1: Now, is there any online way to play Axis and
2: Allies, the current version? Do you know? Vassal, Vassal would be. I mean, like most board games, if you want to play a heavy-duty strategic game like this, there I don't know of a like official online version of it or anything like that. I've certainly never seen one. Um,
0: Clearly, you have to get Mr. Harris on the podcast.
2: We can do that. And so, for our listeners too, I
1: would love to hear more about uh, how well Time of Wrath holds up as like a play-by-email game. Uh, I, I would let so yeah. Here's I, I would love the idea of a grand, strategic World War II game that you could play by email, like kind of like we're doing with Dominions. I mean, I just think yeah.
2: that that would be the So, really. so this just in. Apparently, you can play Axis and Allies on Facebook. Oh, good lord! I'm not that I'm not, desperate to play it. I'm <laughs> not making that up.
0: Yeah. I'm not making. That um, up. Hey, if you if we could, we could probably do a uh, play by email game of uh, Time of Wrath, if you had copies of it. I'll give you the contact information for Matrix PR, we'll see what happens, and if not, you can buy it for the low-low price of $8 billion. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's how much it costs to really enjoy World War II. So.
0: Well, yeah, that's how much it costs.
1: Uh, okay, here we go, real quick. Yep. Uh, favorite World War II movie? Julian, go. Favorite World War II movie? Uh, Dustboat. Matt, Troy, he stole what I think might have been your
0: answer. You have to pick some No, can, 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 Casablanca is my answer.
1: That's not a Ooh. World War II. Oh, good Lord. Yeah, sort of. Okay, first of all, you're, you're disqualified from the quiz.
0: Okay, Favorite fine, World not war Casablanca. Uh, Casab- it. it has to have war in it? Yeah, it has to be about World War Two. It can't oh, then, have World War II they're, happening they're, in the background during okay, a love triangle. Then probably Patton. <laughs> really... You are old. <laughs> are you serious? Patton's a great movie. You're about old megalom- and jingoistic. About, oh, it's, it's about megalomania. <laughs> Who directed really? Patton? Do you know I I Patton's oh. a great movie. And if I was just... <laughs> okay, fine. What, you want to you be artsy and say Thin Red Line? That ain't going to happen. Hey, no, you get your own. That's That was the one I was going to pick. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> what am I... In Toronto, I had a my local bartender, great movie buff, and he loved Thin Red Line. He said, you know, it's a good movie, but somewhere on a cutting room floor there's a six hour great movie. Okay, well wait a minute. So okay, so let's let's
2: let's talk about some of the other like amazing ones. The Great Escape. Good lord. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great movie.
0: You guys are like, you're well, so you, were, I you were were gonna, we're
2: gonna
1: say two? what's wrong with Patton, Tom? Okay, well I haven't seen Patton in a very long time. Uh but Patton I haven't I go this watch sort it. of yeah, this sort of uh, George C. Scott tour de force. Yep. Um, and, of course, the famous opening with him in front of the American flag. Uh, I just think of Patton as that sort of, that generation of sort of rah-rah World War II movies. Uh,
2: the like Oscar contenders? Yeah.
1: yeah, 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 like Longest Day, like that kind of stuff, which I watch now and just feels so sort of like turgid and reverent. And ah, uh,
0: but See, th- that's the beauty of Patton, this is it's the kind of movie that, Further, you get detached from George C. Scott's performance, I and mean, George C. Scott was hardly a right wing wingnut.
1: Just to real quick, I have no problems with its but, jingoism, and I think its jingoism isn't necessarily misplaced. So, so right. go ahead, but I'm. But
0: sorry I think of... I think in fact it stands out as a movie about a passing generation, a generation of warfare that kind of reaches its apex in World War II of you know blood and guts type warfare that is clearly already almost outdated. That's okay. deep.
1: I know that's very well put, and it makes me curious to watch the whole five hour movie over again. So
2: uh, would, what about I, What about Empire of the Sun? That's like Spielberg.
1: That's Spielberg, right? That's like Reverend. I can't watch yeah. stuff Spielberg does in World War II. Just feels like I, that doesn't really work for me.
0: Not uh, a staple. You know what? At so least I, it's,
1: it's Pacific okay. Theater. I'll grant it that. I, there's not enough cool movies about well, the. So Pacific I,
2: so, so I'm gonna I'm 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 modifying my my comments because now I'm thinking about all of the like the sort of squad level game uh, movies and I realize that I am a squad level guy squad level squad games level and movies games. So, so like the Bridge on the River Kwai and Band of Brothers probably if I had to and which I know isn't one movie whatever um, yeah that doesn't again
1: television first of all uh, well but, yeah but it might no, as well be I know fair point fair point Julian so, have you seen A Midnight Clear.
2: No, I have not.
1: No, I no, neither have I. Midnight Clear? I recommend that to both of you guys. It's also, it's it's a very small squad level game, I mean movie, uh, <laughs> but it's also, it, it, it has a great sort of overarching message just about World War II as a whole. Uh, I, I think we'll, a Midnight Clear is one of the best, and, and often overlooked. I mean, it's a small indie film. Uh, uh, director hasn't done a lot of stuff since. Well, actually he has. A fellow Keith Gordon, who was an actor, directed it. Uh, You'll recognize some of the guys in it, Gary Sinise, Frank Whaley. So
0: uh, why do you recommend uh, Thin Red Line, Tom,
1: for audiences? So Thin Red Line, uh, and I think I've said this before, but I don't know about on this podcast, so apologies if I'm repeating myself to anyone. Not everyone's Thin Red Line to me is my favorite kind of war movie in that it is is a a look at war that recalls, and this is going to sound so pretentious, and let me explain myself before you guys start groaning, uh... But Thin Red Line recalls to me the Iliad in that it's it's a look at war as the musings of the people involved in it, rather than a sort of a historical overview of battles or right. something with a conventional dramatic arc. But I think of Thin Red Line just what it like like Nick Nolte on the ship sailing to an invasion and, and being briefed by like John Travolta as, as a small role as his captain. Whatever, and it's silly. He's got the worst mustache in the world. But there's while he's getting the briefing, Nick Multy has this amazing voiceover, and it's such this weird arty take on that you know a World War II movie. But mm-hmm. it really does remind me of the Iliad, where you see these 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 sort of battles unfold. But to be sort of more concerned with the inner monologue of the the characters of what's going on in their heads while it's happening. Well, and to that me, then that's so why
0: I
2: would,
1: then I would pick
2: Gallipoli if we were going to pick a movie.
0: That's a world, ah, War good. but that's World War One. I. Well, I know,
2: but come on! I mean, so. Oh snap! Wow! Yes, I, I know oh, it's World War One. I'm not an idiot. Yet. <laughs> I'm just saying, if we're reaching for like my favorite kind of war movie and getting into the heads of the people where the war is just the backdrop, then it's hard to beat it's Gallipoli. So, do you guys I, agree I, with me that it's kind of quaint that World War One thinks of
1: itself as a World War, considering World War Two? Is, is, isn't that the case? Isn't it kind of cute that they think they're a World War?
2: <laughs> <laughs> we're totally off topic. We've lost all of our listeners. But I just read that the last living World War I veteran in England passed away.
1: Yes. The only reason I know that is because Radiohead, by the way, again, furthering my reputation as a Radiohead fan, in case people weren't buying it a few podcasts ago, uh, Radiohead <laughs> released a single that they had written and, and recorded for this fellow. Uh, oh, really? So, yeah. Yes, so... available for free online. Uh, so worst World War 2 movie? Oh good lord. Oh god. Um, it's, it's, like I wonder how well that like traditional and I haven't seen many actually I was going to say many of these. But I don't think I've seen any of them. How well do those like traditional John Wayne kind of chesty polar things hold up? Like uh, isn't that stuff just cringe worthy? I don't know.
0: Like Sands of Iwo Jima? yeah, it doesn't hold up.
1: But. Well, here you go, then, Troy. Uh, that 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 syrupy maudlin stuff that Clint
2: Eastwood did. Uh, no, we, haven't, see, we haven't. We
0: haven't. haven't seen those yet. Yeah,
2: I think those are terrible. Oh, oh wait, Pearl Harbor. That was abysmal. That was just like now, one of the I most vomitrocious think- movies ever.
1: Yeah, I don't think Pearl Harbor. though. Qual- like World War Two is so. I That's a r- call that a World
2: War II
0: movie. It's just well, okay. such a... Well, if the, if, piece of if, if, can we count movies... Can we count propaganda movies made? Because 49th Parallel is the worst one I've ever seen. What is that? 49th Parallel is a movie made... At, I'm a Canadian, so I have kind of a soft spot for it. It's about a, a German submarine crew that gets stranded in Hudson's Bay. And they have to make their way... America's still neutral. So they have to make their way from Hudson's Bay into the United States and trying to, you know, win propaganda points along the way among the Canadians. And Laurence Olivier has the worst accent ever as a French-Canadian trapper. <laughs> that, that sounds fascinating, troll. It is. highly. I was that all, sounds I, like a train wreck I want to see. It is. It is something everyone should watch. I mean, L- L- Leslie Howard uh, is in it, uh, Laurence Olivier, G- 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 Glennis Johns, lots of the great, you know, uh, stars of the time. And it's a terrible, terrible movie, which tries to make the point that, you know, Canada should and America should join together and fight uh, the Nazis.
1: <laughs> well, uh, there's also uh, our sponsor this week, Inglorious Bastards. I think that opens soon. I'm not really sure when it yes, comes
0: out. next weekend, I think.
1: And Now, is that based on anything, or did Tarantino just slap the script together about World I, War
0: II? I, 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 don't I, don't think, I think it's based on that. his fevered imagination.
1: Well, and I don't know about you guys, but for me, there's such a crossover. This is a video gamer condition. I think this is something we all suffer from. For me, there's a big crossover between my forms of entertainment. So when I'm watching a movie, I'm thinking, oh, this makes me want to play game X. Or when I'm playing game X, I'm thinking, oh, this makes me want to watch movie Y. Uh, Do you guys not do that? Is that just me? Yeah,
0: I can't. No, it's me too. But for me, there's this third tier, and there's books. I'm watching a really good movie, playing a really good game. And I want to read a book about the subject. And uh, for Europe Universalis, I mean, that's what got me interested in the Thirty Years' War, for God's sakes.
2: And I will say, I-, I went through a World War II phase a couple years ago, where I, I like for a year, I watched like everything I could get my hands on. I read, you know, uh, you know all the Ambrose stuff. I played every game I could find. You know, it, they totally self reinforce. That actually buoyed my interest in Hearts of Iron Three for a while. Uh, there's this section in
1: A Bright, Shining Lie, which is about Vietnam, where they talk about uh, Vietnam during World War II and their interaction with the French and the Japanese. And, and I was reading that part thinking, oh, I can't wait to get the review copy of uh, Hearts of Iron 3. <laughs> well,
0: so, I, yes, ho- I do hope you give it more time and study, uh, Tom, because I do think it is uh, a very deep and rewarding strategy game. But And Julian, please play it so you can tell I Tom-
2: will, I will, I will. I, w- I will play video games again someday when my wife returns from Africa. Why is your wife in Africa?
1: She's you you can drop something weeks.
2: like that. Oh, on a
1: safari in Africa? I thought How I'd I mentioned it
2: before. Yeah, she's she's chasing elephants with a large lens. Without you? Without me. Who is this lens guy? Oh! <laughs> but so by the way, Julian, you know... All right, guys.
1: No updates for Dominions because Julian hasn't taken his turn. So we don't have that for you this week.
0: I'm afraid. Well, the one update I will have is that Bruce sent me a turn and then sent me another turn immediately afterward. afterwards saying, I made a stupid mistake. Use this turn instead.
1: Oh, indeed. Uh, Cheater, pretend man. Pretend you didn't get it. I'm sure it had something to do with him fighting me. Troy, pretend you didn't get it and use his original turn. Yeah, I, I wish
0: I could, but I'm <laughs> a fair umpire. <laughs> uh, hopefully, guys, I will have more Dominion's news for you. I'm getting some emails asking where that stuff is going and how long this game will take us. Uh, the game will probably <laughs> take us until, uh, or... I don't know, whenever you think Judgment Day will be. Nobody's attacked me yet, so I'm still, you
2: know, I haven't, I've lost like 20 units in the whole game so far.
1: Well, Julian, no you, one... you have to uh, leave your home
2: province before that's likely to happen.
0: Oh, oh okay. No one's, on that. no one's attacked you yet? Nobody's,
2: I mean, no, I've attacked, like, indigenous tribes all over the place, but I'm just blissfully happily in my little corner.
0: Be patient, little one. I know, I'm just going to get rolled over. Well, depends how quickly I can muster those skeletons. Uh, So, any last comments on World War II, guys, or anything else you're playing? Oh,
1: good God, don't get me started. Magic. Oh. Yeah. Can we do like, uh, well, no, I won't do that this time. I was going to start talking about all like strategy gaming stuff, but I'll, I'll save that for another time. Right. Uh, next you week. Know, no, I'm not going to. I lied. I lied. Quick plug for an awesome Nintendo WiiWare game called mm-hmm. Swords and Soldiers. It's the most goofy generic name. I mentioned it in a column that I write for a crispy gamer called Rush Boom Turtle about real-time strategy games. So there's a WiiWare game, 10 bucks, called Souls and Swords and Soldiers that is a bona fide, card-carrying, real-time strategy game that is awesome, awesome, more awesome than any real-time strategy game I've ever played for two-player split-screen. So there you go. Really? Interesting. Yep. Yep. That's if you're into RTSs, and even if you're not, actually, uh, a great two-player... Uh, split-screen strategy game is Swords and Soldiers, $10 on the WiiWare. Just real quick, it's 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 a straight line between... It's almost like demigods, between two fortresses, and all you're doing is researching units and spells that you can cast, and when you research them, you build them, and they walk from your fortress to the other guy's fortress and start beating up on it. So what you have to do is match what he's building, and you send out units, and they create a sort of a moving front that goes back and forth against this linear map uh, and you're defending your fortress trying to beat the other guys. There's three sides in it. Each has its own unique tech tree. Uh, it's adorable, and it's, it's, it's surprisingly deep. So there you go. That's my surprise plug for the week, and my categories, as you can hear.
0: Yes, your categories, everything you say. <laughs> uh, say good. Next week's topic, still not in stone. We will let you know as soon as we know, uh, which will probably be next week when you hear us. Thanks for listening, and say goodbye, guys. Goodbye,
2: right, right,
1: guys. Good
2: everyone. teenage first So, this is the